But today, present day, the reason why we don't receive from God is because the knowledge of sin, we disqualify ourselves and we don't receive from heaven the supply of the Spirit, the working of miracles. Why? Because we're trying to be perfected in our flesh, Galatians 3. You're listening to the Braveheart Podcast. For more information about Braveheart Ministries, visit braveheartministries.org. Let's start in uh, Romans 4, verse 13. I wish we had time to go through uh, more of that. Um, But but Paul is talking about Abraham. He's he's building the foundation for uh, the righteousness of faith. Um, I think I've shared this with you before. Uh, Romans 3.23 says uh, it's a it's we use it uh, to to share the gospel, many people, the Romans road. We all know Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I, I have taken issue with us using that scripture uh, as the leading foot of the gospel for this reason. Um, I don't feel like it's, it's a true statement, but it's not at the right time. When the leading foot of the gospel for an unbeliever is you've sinned and fallen short of the glory, um, I, I didn't know why I wrestled with that until one day uh, in prayer and I was out on the street sharing the gospel, the Lord said, explain to them the glory that they fell from. Think about that for a second. Think about how as the church, the leading foot when we proclaim the gospel is you've sinned, you've fallen short of the glory. That, that's true. That is a true statement. The problem is many people are not aware of the glory with which we fell from. They, they're not... They're not conscious or aware of the intimacy that, that God had with, with Adam and Eve in the beginning. That was the glory. They were naked and unashamed, clothed in the glory of God, walking face to face with God. When you start the gospel with the glory of God, then you, you, you automatically bring a revelation that they've fallen short of it. Hey, can I tell you something? This is the most lost person in the world. Hey, can I tell you something? God... In the beginning, he loved people. And the only reason he created people because he wanted a relationship with them. God's a God of love. He's a, he's, a, he's a God of family. He's a God of intimacy. And at the very beginning, the whole reason that mankind's even here is because he wanted fellowship to walk with them, to enjoy them, to laugh with them, to have innocence with them. Like, think about that. Think about when you start to share the gospel, you start articulating the heart of God to be intimate with mankind. And all of a sudden, in your, in your declaring who God is, you confront their present reality, which is, I don't feel that way towards God. And they get, they get a revelation that, I, well, then why, why do I feel the way? Because you've fallen short of that. Sin has caused you to fall short. Oh, right? Versus, hey, you, you need to acknowledge that you've screwed up and that, and that death's on your life. As the leading foot, it's true. Death is on their life. But until you show them the heart of God, the glory of God, they may not, they may not, that feels like you're judging them. That feels like you're coming at them instead of the heart of the gospel is for God so loved the world that he gave. 
He gave of himself to mankind. When Jesus came, this, was, this, this gripped me, y'all. Uh, I remember, like, I've, I've prayed for years, Lord, we need a reformation in how we, per- in how we share the gospel. And not just how we share the gospel, but our, but our heart's posture towards the lost. We need a, we need a reformation and a, and, a, and a revival in our minds with how we approach the lost. Because present day in the church, get this, there's only 4% of Christians who will lead someone to Christ, according to a Barna study. 4%. 4% of people who say they're born again will lead someone to Jesus. 4%. And so here's what we've done. We've said, well, we got to, man, we got to start motivating. Remember my motivation talk? We got to start motivating people to share the gospel. Let's, let's tell them that, man, you have to share the gospel. The problem I find in my Bible is there's not a lot of teaching on motivating people to share the gospel. Why? Because it was a given, it was a byproduct of the gospel, which is the power of God to save you. (laughs) It was the byproduct of a heart being born into new covenant. They would, of course, their hearts were on fire, filled with the Holy Ghost. They were sent, they knew Jesus, and they were going into a lost and dying world with this good news. And so my my heart, my passion, where where I took my focus of my life and where I feel like God called me was, instead of trying to motivate people to do something that's biblical, I want to cultivate Christ within until it becomes a desire of their heart. Because then, then you won't have to be motivated uh, long term. You'll be cultivated and there'll be, it, your, your going won't be predicated on my motivating you. It, it, it'll, be, it'll be sustained. Why? Because Christ was formed in you. You have the power within. You realize, wow, I'm a, I'm a good tree. I'm a good seed. I'm filled with God. And I actually have a desire. I have compassion for people. Are you with me? And so Romans 3.23, what's so crazy about that scripture is, uh, let me just read verse 21 because I want to read it in context, context because, I don't know, I just get fired up about this. But now, verse 21, look at Romans 3. Just hop over real quick. I wasn't going to teach on this, but... But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Just go up to verse 20. Sorry. For, the, for by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. Through the law comes knowledge of sin. So no human being will be justified by the law. No human being. Why? Because through the law comes a knowledge of sin. That's what the law was for, was to, was to enhance and produce the knowledge of sin within, which, which scripturally, according to Galatians, that was meant to be like a schoolmaster that led us to Jesus Christ. The law would magnify, whoa, man, I really need help. <laughs> That's what the purpose of the law. Man, I've really, gone, I've really gone out of bounds here. It was like a bumper lanes for the, for the people, right? To lead them to Christ. But now, everyone say, but now. This is so good. The righteousness of God has been manifested or revealed apart from the law. So he's saying there's a righteousness. God's righteousness has been revealed that's not connected to do and don't. That's what he's saying. Amen? And so, and so I want you to see this is really important. He's talking about the righteousness of God right now in this Romans 3. He's saying, hey, guys, but now. No human being is justified by the law, but now the righteousness of God's revealed. Check this out. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Christ Jesus for all who believe. 
So the righteousness is for believers. Everyone say amen. Amen. If you're in unbelief, you're living by your flesh, the righteousness, you're still living according to the law, according to the flesh, and that will produce death. Amen? I want you to see this. So he's saying there's the righteousness of God through faith for all who believe. So he's talking about believers in Jesus. For there is no distinction. Who's Who's he not distinguishing between? Let's keep reading. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now we're reading this in context. And are justified by His grace as a gift. This is the same sentence. The same all that had sinned and fallen short of the glory of God are the same all that are justified by His grace as a gift. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God forward put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be, reve- to be received by faith, this was to show God's righteousness. Because in His divine forbearance, He had passed over former sins. It was to show His righteousness at the present time so that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Listen, you can go to Romans 2 and, and, and read the Romans 2 that quotes Psalms. It says, none is righteous, no, not one. That one's okay. That one, that, one is a, that one is Paul trying to level the playing field and say, guys, no one is righteous before God according to the flesh. But Romans 3, he's talking about the righteousness of God. And I believe when he says there's no distinction, he's saying there's no distinction among believers who are in Christ because all of y'all sin, but you were all justified by his grace as a gift. There's no distinction among you. Why? Because you've received justification by faith. Right? I just want you to see that because without that, some of these anchor scriptures and texts, like in that, in this moment, Romans 3, he's not trying to convince the believers that they're still sinners. And he's not using this text to convince people that they've fallen from God. He used Romans 2, 11 to, to 18 to do that. Now he's trying to establish the righteousness of God by faith alone. Are you all with me? That's important to me. Okay, so Romans uh, 4... Verse 13 says this, For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. Check this out. For it, if it is the adherents of the law who are to be heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. So there's two things. The promise was given by faith. And he's saying, look, if, if, if you're going to to walk by the law, if you're going to adhere by the law, you make, the fi- you make faith and the promise of God void. Okay? This is, again, we, we know that contextually he's talking about Abraham and Israel, but I wanna, we're going to bring this home to us in just a second. That's so important for you to see. For the law brings wrath, verse 15, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. You guys read that in your Bible? For there is no law, there is no transgression. Where there is no law. Why? Why would that be? How can that be? Yeah, we just read it. The law brings knowledge of sin. So imagine for a minute there's no law. How do you know sin? There's two people that Jesus marvels at their faith. Does anyone know the two? Where was the centurion from? And who else? The lady. Where was she from? 
Syrophoenicia. Interesting. So there's, there's two people that Jesus marvels at their faith. He's like, I've not, I've not seen such great faith in Israel, right? Two people. What's, what's the common denominator between those two people? So they didn't have the? So they had no knowledge of? So, so when they came to Jesus, they had nothing inside of them telling them that they weren't worthy to receive something from God. So their faith, all they saw was a man who could bring healing to them. That's all they saw. That, that's the only thing that they could see was that there's this man. Nothing, like they would have been disqualified. The woman was disqualified. Jesus disqualified her. Do you you got to understand this. Jesus the Christ told her no. Yeah, she gets rebuked by the disciples. She's getting rebuked. She's getting no's left and right. And she's like, and he's like, it wouldn't be right. He calls her a dog. It wouldn't be right to take the children's bread and feed it to dogs. And she goes, yeah, but dogs eat crumbs from the table. Because nothing in, she had no knowledge of sin. She had no knowledge that she was disqualified. All she knew was my daughter's sick and that man can heal her. That's all she knew. That was the only consciousness that she had. But today, present day, the reason why we don't receive from God is because the knowledge of sin, we disqualify ourselves and we don't receive from heaven the supply of the Spirit, the working of miracles. Why? Because we're trying to be perfected in our flesh. Galatians 3. It's witchcraft. It's witchcraft. Who's bewitched you? Who's bewitched you? Why are you living under witchcraft? Having begun in the spirit, are you now trying to perfect yourself by the flesh? Did, did, you, not re- did you receive the spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Does not he who supplies the spirit, listen, this is Galatians 3. Does not he who supplies the spirit to you and work miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? The supply, look at this, the supply of the Spirit, isn't that funny? People, people are like, you're such a good teacher. I'm like, I am reading the Bible. <laughs> supply of the Spirit and working miracles. How many of you would like, how many of you would like supply of the Spirit? Like you'd like all the flow. John 4, he gives the Spirit without measure. No measure? God gives it without measure. So the measure is what we place. The measure, we place measures. Why? Because through the knowledge comes, through, through the law comes the knowledge of sin. Now, we don't have the Jewish law. We have a Gentile form of Christian law that we have. It, it is a form of circumcision in our day where we say, man, to be a good Christian, you've got to do these things according to the flesh. We don't have circumcision. You know, in their day, you, when you read about circumcision, you're like, well, what's the big deal? It's because it was a sign. you got to check this. It was a sign in their flesh that they were righteous. That was the only way you could be righteous according to the Jew was if you had that sign in your body, on your, on your physical flesh. That's why in Galatians he goes, man, Paul, uh, Barnabas wasn't even forced to be circumcised. So he's like, that's a great thing. They didn't force him. Why? Because they were accepting the righteousness by faith. 
But then brothers secretly brought in, spied out their freedom. Peter starts acting hypocritically. Have you ever, do you ever know that like Paul rebuked Peter publicly? Did you know that? That, And you know why he rebuked him? Yeah, because he was withdrawing away from, from Gentiles. It was a form of racism. It was a form of racism. He was kind of going, man, what, what was going on in Peter was, if I'm seen eating with these guys, when the circumcision party comes, those who have the sign of circumcision, the Jews, the high-ranking Jews, if they come and see me eating with the Gentiles, they're going to condemn me. So what he did was, I'm going to withdraw from them so that they don't see me. And then, and then some of the other guys started withdrawing and be like, yeah, let's, let's withdraw from them because they don't have the sign of, they're not righteous. <laughs> So they withdrew from them, and Paul's like, listen, listen to how intense this is. I'm just preaching Galatians, I guess. He, he, said, he said, man, I, I, I confronted him to his face because he stood condemned. Yet, yet, yet we didn't, he goes, not even for a moment did I want to give in to them. Why? So that the truth of the gospel could be preserved for you. It was such a big deal that they, that they no longer, that they shifted their mind from righteousness having to do with the flesh to righteousness being of faith according to the Spirit attached to the works of Jesus. It's so important, guys. So the reason I'm pushing on the law, the reason I'm pushing on this thing where, and I want to help you understand, in our Christian culture today, we have a, a very skewed, muddied version of a Gentile Christian law that, that's different for every person based on how you grew up. You have, a, you have a construct in your mind of what you need to be doing according to the flesh to make you feel right. Some of you grew up going to church every Sunday, every Wednesday. So, so at some point, possibly, when you didn't go to church Sunday or Wednesday, you didn't attend service, your conscience got pricked. You go, oh, I'm not right with God because of what you weren't doing according to the flesh. So your rightness with God had to do with that thing. But to me, I didn't grow up going Wednesday. I went, I went a few times a Sunday. So like for me, if I, don't, if I miss a Sunday and if I don't go to church on Wednesday, that doesn't violate my conscience. Huh. Why? Because my construct is different than your construct because we're all Gentiles. We were never meant to have the law. Romans 14, yeah, one guy can only eat vegetables, one can eat meat. He's saying, I'm not going to let, if I have faith to eat meat, God calls all things clean. He's saying, but if my brother, if Josker makes him uncomfortable to eat meat, and this is, this is something we have to understand even as we're talking about this stuff, is that if I know it makes him stumble that I eat meat or have a glass of wine, when I'm with him and I'm fellowshipping with him, I will not eat meat. <coughs> I'm going to, even though biblically, scripturally, he's saying Josker's, his faith is weaker for this example. His faith is weaker. Why? Because all food is clean. You can eat meat biblically. But he's saying, but this brother unto God is not eating meat. He's saying, so don't for the sake of your freedom, your strength of faith, violate someone else's faith. He's a servant unto the Lord. So I'm going to come humble myself. And when I'm with him, I'm only eating veggies. I'm only going to eat veggies. Why? Because I love him. I'm not going to cause him to stumble for my freedom. If the church understood this, 
we would become like fathers that would, that, would, that would cultivate Christ within you, that would cultivate the desire within you in your heart right now. If you're truly born again, you've put your faith in Jesus Christ and you've gone through the death, burial, and resurrection, there is the law of God that is etched on your heart, which means it is in your will and desire to walk righteously as a born-again believer. So when we sing the song, this is why these things are important because they subtly reinforce things that are not biblically true of a new covenant believer. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Not as a new creation, I'm not prone to wander. I'm prone to righteousness. I'm going to get you one sec. I want to I hit this. Do you, I want you guys to see this. Your heart, new covenant, can't be deceitfully wicked above all else who can trust it. Why? Because you've received a new heart. So when the righteous, this is, this is the righteousness of God, and this is Christ in you. This is Galatians 2, 20. In the rebuke of Peter, he's going on and saying, he says, man, for, for I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. So the life I live in the body, I live by faith. And Christ is in me. Listen, the reason why we don't trust this process because we don't believe that the living Christ dwells inside of us by the Holy Spirit. Jesus Christ in you will confine you to good behavior more than the law ever could. So what I'm doing is I'm appealing to Christ within you. I'm getting you to identify with Christ in you by faith. And that will confine you to good behavior more than me coming up here and standing for 16 weeks and telling you this is how you're supposed to walk like Christ. Don't do this. Do this. Why? Because you know that within by the Holy Spirit. That's why when he says you don't have anyone to you don't need to have anyone teach you. You have an anointing. He's talking about that. He's not saying we don't have instruction, we don't preach the Word of God. He's saying you don't need anyone to teach you the law. The law for the new covenant believer becomes non-existent. Why? Because we're under great, and this is what we have to understand. The grace of God is the only environment that will empower the righteousness of God. Grace reigns through righteousness. Romans 5. Is first Tim- There's no concern. You're just reading 1 Timothy 1, 8, and 9. Now, we know this, that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. Mm-hmm. Watch. Understanding this. This is so important. The law is good if used lawfully, but understand this, that the law is not laid down for the righteous. So you're talking about kids who are not saved, but the law, it says they're not laid down for the righteous, but for the lawless and disobedient. For the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, the sexually immoral men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. He's saying for unbelievers, they have to be instructed in context of, hey, that's wrong. But for Christians... There's no, it's not laid down. It's, it's an unlawful use of the law to put a law on a Christian. Wow. Right? right? Mm-hmm. That's good. But as a teaching, you have to tell the kid sometimes what not to do. And I've heard one, you know, once that you don't tell a kid not to do something. 
you tell them what to do and the positive way to do that thing. Like if, if he's running on the hallway, you, t you don't tell him not to run. You tell him, here, you walk. And yes. it's like reverse it so that way it doesn't hit that, uh, what you call it, the, the rebellious part of it. Right. So. Yeah, you're talking about training kids. We're talking about the global father instructing us and growing us up in Christ. They're two different things. If your kids are not saved or you instruct, train a child in the way they should go, that's all right and good. Give them instruction. Absolutely. But it's apples and oranges when it comes to how we grow up in God, right? It's, those are, that's, not the same, that's not the same scenario. We have to learn collectively and be unified in how God has designed us to grow up. And when you understand this design, God is not love. Listen, love does not demand its own way. God doesn't demand his own way, even though he's right. Why? Because he gives us, he's empowered us. By the Holy Spirit. Here, here's what you have to understand. The only reason this would become uncomfortable for us is if the Holy Spirit in us is not powerful. This is the only way this becomes uncomfortable. If, the, if God's not going to do what he said he's going to do, this becomes uncomfortable. Let me, let me, let's go to, let's do Romans 4. Yeah. What was the first Timothy? First Timothy 1, 8 and 9. I want you to see this. This, this, will, this will close us home. This will help us, okay? Are y'all okay? Yeah. Romans 4. No, that was 1 Timothy 1, 8 and 9 that we just did. So look, 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 look. This is why it depends on faith. Everyone say faith. faith. That the promised may rest on... Y'all are not reading with me. Verse 16. That is, that is why it depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on... And be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. Look at this. In hope, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations as he, as he had been told. So shall your offspring be. Verse 19. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body. Check this out. Which was as good as dead. Since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb, no unbelief, listen, you got to catch this, made him waver concerning the promise of God. But he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced, say fully convinced, fully convinced. that God was able, say God was able, God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But look, but the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised Jesus from the dead, Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Listen, here's what we're doing today. Here's the, here's the crux of what I'm saying, is that we consider our own bodies. We're going, Lord, I'm living in sin, or I'm this person. We, we consider our body, but here's what we do. It makes us waver in unbelief. God promised that he would form Christ in you and that you could say, I'm no, I'm no longer, I'm crucified with Christ. I no longer live in the, 
right? It's, not, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The promise of the gospel is Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's the promise, is that you can walk like Jesus Christ. That's the promise, that you would have a child. He promised him, hey, hey, Abraham, you're going to have Isaac. That was the promise. Can, can y'all stay with me? The father promised you, hey, you're going to have a child. His name's Jesus. And he's going to live his life through you. That's the promise of the gospel. Did you know that? It's not, if I become one with the eternal one, of course I'm going to go to heaven. Going to heaven is not the climax of the gospel. It's becoming one with the eternal one. If me and the eternal one become one, I'm going to go to heaven as a byproduct. That's, not the, that's, the, that's the secondary, tertiary blessing of becoming one. One new man with Jesus Christ. So here's the promise of the gospel. The Father says, hey guys, through this process, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, you're going to become one with him. You're going to have a child. Christ will be formed in you, and your life will become like Jesus' life. And anyone who says, anyone who says he abides in him must walk as Jesus walked. How does that happen? You cannot waver in unbelief concerning the promise of God when you consider your own body going, well, I don't look righteous. If you're going to be of a man of faith, a man of righteousness, when you consider your own body, though it's manifesting weakness, you say, man, no unbelief is going to make me waver concerning the promise of God. I'm fully convinced, God, that you're able to do what you promised. Lord, I know right now I've been battling sin. I've been battling stuff. But, Lord, it's not in my heart. I hate it. I don't want it. God, I'm full. I'm going to give you glory. God, I'm going to worship you right now. I'm going to praise you. Why? Because I'm fully convinced of your promise. I'm fully convinced that Christ is in me, the hope of glory. Nothing will make me waver. Come on. This is the posture of a born again. Like this is what strong faith looks like. For years we've had teaching that undermines our faith and defiles your conscience and makes you walk around and, well, I don't know if God loves me. No, he gave his son for you. He promised to form Christ in you. Don't waver in your faith. Don't don't get in unbelief and consider your own body and consider the flesh of others and go, well, I don't see righteousness. You're not, because you, you're living by the flesh. You're living by the body. That what if Abraham did that? God, look, I'm, my, I'm old. I'm hundred. I'm wrinkly. Sarah's womb is dead. The, the, you say, well, come on. This is the same thing. This is our life right here on Romans four. You consider your body. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to consider your own body. I want you to consider where you're at in the flesh. And I want you to know that the promise of God is bigger and that he's able to form Christ in you. He is able. I am telling you, he's able. I promise you he's able. Like, I'm standing in it. I'm, I'm, I'm walking in the covenant promise of Jesus. Like, like I'm in covenant, and there is, there is a Christ that's been formed in me, and it's real. There's a real child, and his name's Jesus, and he's being formed in you by the Holy Spirit and by the grace of God. It is real. It's possible to walk like Jesus, free from sin and in humility and in love and in power. It's possible. But this is the way he's designed and prescribed for it. No other way. If you walk according to the law, according to the flesh, it'll never work. It's not worked. It's why we don't have a mature bride. That fired me up. Do you any, yes. Is that why it says we walk by faith and not by sight? Correct. And why the righteous shall live by faith. The only way righteousness manifests is by faith, and that faith rests on grace. No longer upon demands. It doesn't. It can't. If you're going to walk by the law, the promise is null and faith is void. Why? Because the one who works, his wage to him is what he worked for, not given as a gift. 
So you can't receive the righteousness of Christ if you work for it because you could never earn the righteousness. You could never work hard enough to get it. He gives it to you as a gift, and here's what. It offends our flesh. Oh, our flesh hates it. Our flesh manifests. This is where persecution came in the early church. People said, no, you need, to, you need to do this after the flesh. And Paul's like, nope, we're not doing it. Righteousness is only by faith. And they're like, we've been righteous, our flesh, all of these years. And he's like, sorry, it's not how it works anymore. It's only by Jesus. And that's why, that's why he was stoned. Do you understand that? People got so angry defending and justifying their righteousness by the flesh that they wanted to stone this man because he was teaching another way. And their flesh manifested in anger, which is why sometimes when you share this and you don't give context or whatever, people manifest in anger. I hope you enjoyed this episode of our podcast. For more resources, visit BraveheartMinistries.org.